If you take God's precious word and turn to the book of Jude, please. The book of Jude. Verse 11. God willing, we'll be in verse 11 again next week. Three weeks in verse 11. Last week we began our study of verse 3 examples of creepy clergy in the Bible. Three Bible examples that help describe the creepy clergy that he is warning us about. And the first example that he gave is that of Cain, the firstborn son of Adam and Eve. Speaking of creepy clergy, Jude said, look in verse 11, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. When we studied the way of Cain last week, we learned that Cain was a devoutly religious man who offered an offering to God, but God rejected that offering and he rejected Cain as well. We learned that Cain offered something that God did not require in order to gain something that God did not promise. Jude called it the way of Cain because Cain was going a different way than God altogether. Cain was seeking earthly dominion when he should have been seeking heavenly justification. And when the will of God stood in the way of Cain, getting what he wanted... And Cain was willing to forfeit his religion to get what he wanted some other way, even if it meant killing his own brother. And this shows us that men sometimes have unholy ambitions when they worship a holy God. Men sometimes have unholy ambitions when they worship a holy God. How many times have you seen a football player Give thanks to God for making a touchdown. Or a boxer thanking God for letting him knock somebody out. Y'all ever seen that? Isn't that crazy? That's the craziest thing. But what does winning a football game or beating somebody up have to do with the kingdom of God? Is God trying to accomplish that in his kingdom? He's not trying to accomplish that at all. Is God gaining glory through uh, the saints beating the Dallas Cowboys or vice versa. What, what if you had two equally religious men, two equally religious men, and they were both on opposing teams? And they're both praying or doing the Hail Mary or whatever they're doing. And they're both praying, asking God to help them win or to knock the other person out. Which team would God help? You see how silly things get when you interject unholy ambitions into the worship of a holy God. I remember one night, Evil Knievel's son, Robbie Knievel, he was about to jump over two high, or jump over or across rather from one high-rise building through the air over the street. I think it was New York City, if I remember. I can't remember the name of the city, but I remember watching it, and he jumped over a street and landed on another high-rise building. And I remember before he did that, his mother sounded like she was such a religious woman. They were interviewing her on the, on the television, and she said she was praying for Robbie's safety. But you know, that's false worship of the one true God. If you want to be safe, then stop tempting God by jumping across high-rise buildings. <laughs> Cain's religion 
was selfishly motivated and corrupt at its core. So speaking of these creepy clergy, Jude said, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain. Example number one. Now example number two. Look back in your text. And ran greedily after the era of Balaam for reward. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your precious word. I thank you, Father, for all those who are here today. And I pray you'll fill us all with your Holy Spirit. And speak your word through me today. And may all eyes be on you. And you receive all honor and glory. And we receive all the truth, Father, from your precious word. Edify us, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. They ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. So now Jude gives us his second example of creepy clergy. And it's an Old Testament prophet named Balaam. And in this text, underscore the word greedily. Greedily. That's how Balaam ran. He ran greedily. Like Cain, Balaam had a carnal motive for spiritual worship. What was Balaam's motive? His motive was money. He wanted financial reward. Balaam was in the ministry for money. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Numbers chapter 22, and we'll go ahead and read the story of Balaam. Numbers chapter 22. And to give you some context when you're turning to Numbers chapter 22, uh, uh, to give you some idea of the period of time when Balaam prophesied, I want to remind you that chapter in Numbers chapter 21 Guess what just happened? The Israelites are journeying from Egypt into the promised land, and they just got bit by those fiery snakes. Remember when God told Moses, and Moses made a serpent of brass, put it on a pole, and whoever looked at that serpent of brass lived? That just got through happening to the nation of Israel. So we're just now in that next chapter. And so I want you to understand that during the time of Balaam, the Israelites were still on their journey through the wilderness into or toward the promised land. All right? So uh, I'm fascinated by this because Balaam was a Gentile prophet. Now, Brother Shepherd said something this morning. He let you all know this morning that Gentiles in the Old Testament, he said, some people think Gentiles in the Old Testament weren't given the opportunity to repent. Brother Shepherd says, but they were, and indeed they were. Look here this morning, we're reading, this is fascinating. We've got Moses, a prophet of God, Brother Doug. You can't get any more prophetic than Moses. He's the one that gave us the law. You've got Moses, a prophet of God, down here leading the people of God. They're all Jews. And here's this Gentile prophet who's not walking with them. But he knows about the one true God. And God speaks through him. It's amazing. I'm fascinated by this. Because this Gentile prophet Balaam professed the God of Israel to be his God. Look with me now in Numbers chapter 3. And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on this side Jordan by Jericho. And Balak, the son of Zippor, 
saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was sore afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. So Moab was concerned that Israel was going to devour their country when they passed through it. And possibly destroy their people. They were very afraid that as they went through their country, Moab, that they were just going to eat it up like a bunch of grasshoppers. There wouldn't be anything left of their country or their people. So the king of Moab, this man named Balak, he had an idea. Ding, a bright idea. He decided that he would hire the prophet Balaam to curse the people of Israel. After all, prophets do pronounce curses. Brother Shepherd mentioned one this morning. There's this one prophet told a man to smite him. He wouldn't smite him. He pronounced a curse. He said, when you leave me, a lion's going to eat you up and you're going to be killed. (laughs) He just pronounced a curse. And guess what? It came to pass. So prophets do pronounce curses sometimes. And so Balak thought, well, I'll hire old Balaam over here and get him to curse the people of Israel. Because when he curses someone, it always comes to pass. But there's a problem with that thinking, you see, because a prophet can only speak what God speaks. They can no more declare a curse on someone and cause that curse to happen any more than a weatherman can declare a rainstorm and cause a rainstorm to happen, right? Both the weatherman as well as the prophet can only relay information as it becomes available to them. If God pronounces a curse, then Balaam can pronounce a curse and that curse will come to pass, but only because God said so, not because Balaam said so. And if God doesn't pronounce a curse, then no curse will come to pass, no matter what Balaam says. But not understanding how it works, King Balak tried to hire Balaam to curse the nation of Israel. Now, I want you to think about this with me just a moment. Don't let that just go across your head. I want you to process this information with me just a moment. Because if Balaam is a genuine follower of God, then he's going to be all about the nation of Israel making it to the promised land. Amen? (laughs) If Balaam is a true follower of God, then he's going to support God's kingdom agenda. He is going to support Moses. He is going to be cheering that blessed nation on as they go to the promised land. Why? Because Balaam's salvation hinges upon God fulfilling his promise to send a savior through that nation that Balak's hiring him to curse. God help us. Listen, if Balak offered me money to curse the nation of Israel, I'd tell him, no way, Jose. Because God blessed Abraham. And God told Abraham, I will bless them that bless thee. And then what else did God say? I will curse him that curses thee. (laughs) So I'd say, and then God said this, in thee, Abraham, that is in your nation that comes from your loins, in You shall all nations of the earth be blessed. So I would have told Balak, O king, I can't curse the nation of Israel without cursing myself. So I shall not curse them for any amount of money. But instead, O Balak, 
was told this. Balaam said, uh, uh, you know what, king? I don't have the power to curse them. But let me, let me talk to God and see what we can do. Isn't that something? Man, I tell you, knowing that God's sending the Savior through the nation of Israel, he's going to see if he can't maybe strike a deal and let God curse the nation of Israel so he can get paid by Balak. And, and, and amazingly, Balaam said he had asked God about the possibility. Look here now in verse 22, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 22, verse 4 through 13. And Moab said unto the elders of, uh, of Midian, Now shall this company, talking about Israel, lick up all that are round about us as the ox licketh up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at that time. He sent therefore, uh, he sent messengers therefore unto Balaam, the son of Baor, to Pethor, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people come out from Egypt, talking about Israel. He says, uh, Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail, that we may smite them, and that I may drive them out of the land. For I what? That he whom thou blessest is blessed, and he whom thou cursest is cursed. So what he's saying is, hey, I, I want you to curse them so I can go beat them in battle and drive them out of the land. I want to go lick them. He said, because I know whoever you curse, they're cursed. Whoever you're blessed, they're blessed, Balaam. Verse 7, and the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with, underscore this in your Bible, the rewards of divination. Brother Shepherd talked about this too this morning, about divination, but in a different book, all right? They departed with the rewards of divination in their hand, and they came unto Balaam and spake unto him the words of Balak. And he said unto them, this is what Balaam says to them, lodge here this night, and I will bring you word again, as the Lord shall speak unto me. And the princes of Moab abode with Balaam, and God came unto Balaam and said, What men are these with thee? And Balaam said unto God, Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, hath sent unto me, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt which covereth the face of the earth. Come now, curse me them, peradventure I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. And God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go with them. Underscore that in your text. God tells Balaam. I mean, God's talking to Balaam, the prophet. And God tells this Gentile prophet, You shall not go with them. Thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. Period. End of story. Verse 13. And Balaam rose up in the morning and said unto the princes of Balak, Get you into your land, for the Lord refuseth to give me leave to go with you. He said, God won't let me go. I marvel at verses like this because Balaam fully expected to hear the word of God. He said, I will bring you word again. God apparently had spoken through uh, Balaam many times before. He said, I'll bring you word again as the Lord shall speak to me. I marvel first that God spoke through a Gentile 
to give some witness to the true God among the Gentile people. But I marvel most of all that God would use a man like Balaam, a man who's used to describe creepy clergy in the book of Jude. Why would God use a hireling prophet like Balaam? Balaam should have said, I'm not cursing those people. Are you kidding? They're the people of God. But when they offer him, he, he sees that money that they brought him. They said, he said, well, well, hang on. Let me go see what God says about this. Why would God use a hireling prophet like Balaam? Let me ask you this. Why would Jesus purposefully use a hireling prophet like Balaam in the New Testament? Why would G- Jesus use Judas Iscariot, who, like Balaam, also served out of a love for money? Think about that with me. Why would God use hypocritical scribes and Pharisees to keep the priesthood going and the, prescri- the, the scriptures preserved until the time of Jesus? Think about that. I want you to think about it. God used the nation of Israel, as sinful as many of them were, to preserve his word to man. And then when God took on human flesh... And he came into this world in in the person of Jesus Christ. God the Son steps into the temple one day. He opens up a scroll. And he reads his own words from that a scribe had written with his hand. Knowing that later he would say, Woe unto you, scribes. Pharisees, hypocrites. But he used the scroll that they wrote. Why would God use people like this? God, like Judas, he used Balaam. But he never endorsed Balaam. In fact, Balaam, if you were to continue reading your Bibles, you would learn he was ultimately slain by the nation of Israel, the very nation that he had hoped to curse. The Israelites killed Balaam in the book of Judges, where there he was described as a soothsayer. And a soothsayer is a person who practices divination. And Brother Shepherd uh, rightly said this morning that divination was forbidden in the Old Testament law. Divination was the heathen practice, the Gentile practice of attempting to contact the spirit world through some type of superstitious or natural means. Look back in verse 7 again. You see where you underline divination was Balaam's business. That's why Balak sent him the rewards of divination. But God graciously spoke to Balaam, but Balaam apparently did not speak to God on the basis of his faith in God's covenant promise to Israel, the way we as believers in Christ do today. Balaam was a soothsayer, but since Balaam spoke what God said, he was also a prophet. And that's the way the Apostle Peter described Balaam in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. Described him as a prophet. So understand this about Balaam. <laughs> Balaam wasn't necessarily a false prophet. He was more like a prophet who was false. That makes sense? 
That makes sense? Just like Judas. Judas wasn't a false prophet. Judas went out and spoke in the name of Jesus. He was sent out two by two with the rest of the apostles. But he was a prophet who was false. He wasn't so much a prophet of God as he was a diviner who prophesied. I believe Balaam, in some sense, was like the woman who had a familiar spirit who brought up the prophet Samuel after he had died from the dead so he could speak to King Saul when God would not speak to King Saul through one of his prophets. You remember that? And God allowed it to happen through that soothsaying woman. That woman was not a follower of God. She did not walk by faith in a covenant relationship with God. She, like Balaam, just dabbled in the spirit world to make a buck. Balaam, again, was like Judas. When he knew God, he glorified him not as God, neither was thankful. Like Judas, and like the angel Lucifer, understand this. Balaam was given an extraordinary knowledge of God. How many of y'all ever had, well, I may not ought to ask, may have some hands raised. (laughs) But how many of y'all ever had God speak directly to you and tell you things like God had been speaking to Balaam? Nobody here has. Not like that. Not with audible voice. If you have, please go see your psychiatrist. But Balaam... God spoke directly to him. Balaam spoke back to God. God spoke back to Balaam. Man, I tell you what, I would love a moment or two like that in my life. How incredible that would be. So Balaam was given an extraordinary knowledge of God. But after receiving all that knowledge, he still did not share God's heart. Judas Iscariot. He saw the miracles. He he watched Jesus cast devils out, raise people from the dead, heal lepers, make the lame walk again. He got to hear the Son of God teach with his own ears. An extraordinary knowledge of God. But instead of walking by faith in a covenant relationship with God, they both sought to make money. And Balaam, in this instance, sought to make money by cursing people that God wanted to bless. Judas, by killing somebody who came to save him. It's marvelous to me. I don't understand it. Like Cain, Balaam was willing to destroy what God wanted to save so long as it advanced his carnal objective. Like Judas... Balaam claimed to be a follower of God, but his heart was very far from credit. Who threw spiritual caution to the wind because he was hell bent on getting an earthly reward in this life, even if it meant losing his heavenly reward in the life to come. That's hard to understand, is that? Look back. Now in Numbers 22, look with me in verse 14. Remember what God told Balaam, don't you go with them, don't you curse these people, they're blessed. 
Now, Numbers 22:14, And the princes of Moab rose up, and they went unto Balak, and said, Balaam refused it to come with us. And Balak sent yet again more, uh, yet again princes more and more honorable than they. Well, now listen, you can send all the princes you want. They're not going to be any more honorable than God. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus saith Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I pray thee, hinder thee from coming unto me. For I will promote thee unto very great honor, and I will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come, therefore, I pray thee, curse me this people. And Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Man, you'd hear that and think, My goodness, what a godly man. Praise God for Balaam. He says, Now therefore I pray you, Tear ye here also, uh, tear ye also here this night, that I may know what the Lord will say unto me more. Now that, see where Balaam's messed up there? Balaam's wrong. They come back saying, Well, hey, we'll give you all this and we'll promote you and we'll do this. He says, I can't do this. a weather man i can't make the weather i can't go beyond what god says he's my god i can't go beyond what he says we'll give you some money hang on let me go talk to god that's what he's doing let me go talk to god about cursing those people let me see what he says you see where balaam's heart is in verse 20 now and and said unto him if the men come to call thee rise up and go with them Now, God just told Balaam not to go with them. Would Balaam have been right when they came to him the second time? Would Balaam have been right? I've already told you. God says they're blessed, and he told me not to curse them. They're all going back. That's what Balaam should have done. But Balaam persisted because he wanted the, the reward, that unrighteous reward. And so God comes to him at night, and he says, Balaam? If the men come to call you, go ahead and get up and go with them. He says, but yet the word which I shall say unto thee, that shalt thou do. And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab. Verse 22, and God's anger was kindled because he went. You see what's happening? God said, God's basically saying, Balaam. I told you not to go. But go on ahead, Balaam. Balaam said, okay. And then God's angry at him. He's angry at him. Because Balaam did what God allowed. But Balaam didn't do what he knew God wanted. Did you know God doesn't want anyone in here to go to hell? But you know he'll allow you to go to hell if you so choose? don't think just because God lets you do it that it's okay with God it's not so it says in verse 22 God's anger was kindled because he went and the angel of the Lord underscore this in your text the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him 
Jesus Christ, the angel of the Lord, he stands in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass and his two servants were with him. And the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hand. And the ass turned aside out of the way and went into the field. And Balaam smote the ass to turn her into the way. But the angel of the Lord stood in the path of the vineyards. A wall being on this side and a wall on that side. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself unto the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. And he smote her again. He can't get that that donkey to go where God doesn't want Balaam to go. God's standing in the way. God's standing in the way saying, don't do it, Balaam. Don't do it. And the donkey's not even cooperating. And Balaam, so driven by greed, is smiting that donkey. Get back over here in this way. God says no. The donkey says no. The angel of God standing in the way. It says in verse 26, And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he smote the ass with a staff. You know, when it came down to it, that donkey had more spiritual sense than the prophet. Sure did. Sure did. In fact, the donkey that rode Jesus into town had more spiritual sense than Judas. Balaam wanted God to curse Israel so badly when he should have been rejoicing that God was going to send a Savior through Israel to bless him and to bless the rest of the world if they would only believe. Amazingly, Balaam was willing for the blessing to be cursed. The blessing by which I stand here today, the blessing of being justified through the blood of Jesus Christ, The blessing to be able to stand before my God as if I'd never sinned. And to live with the absolute promise and assurance that one day my dead body will be raised from the grave. And I'll live and reign with the Lord Jesus Christ forever and forever. He was willing for that blessing to be cursed. He was willing to forego the eternal blessing of Abraham for the temporary reward of Balak. That sums it up. He was willing to forego the eternal reward of Abraham to receive the temporary reward of Balak. Kind of reminds you of Jacob and Esau, doesn't it? And God told Balaam, no, these are blessed people. Don't curse them. Don't go with Balak's men. But Balaam insisted on trying to get God to curse them so he could get his reward. So God basically told him, okay, Balaam, go if you want to, but you better not. God even stood in Balaam's way to stop him. But Balaam was driven by greed. So God stood in Balaam's way. And at the same time, he gave him permission to go. Understand that about the nature of God. God essentially said, the answer is still no, Balaam, but go on ahead. God will do you like that. 
By doing this, God showed us who Balaam's God really was. It was the same God Judas had, the God of greed. God of his own carnal, earthly lusts. The greed that drove Balaam past a loving God that stood in his way was the same greed that drove Judas past the loving God who stood in his way. Remember, the same angel of the Lord that stood in the way of Balaam was the same angel of the Lord who said this to Judas. Speaking to Judas and of Judas, Jesus said, The Son of Man goeth as it is written of him, but woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had not been born. Now, if God told me that, I'd be scared to death. I'd say, I'm not doing it. Like Balaam. You know what Jesus was doing when he warned that? That that man, Judas. You know what Jesus was doing? He was standing with a sword drawn in the way of Judas. He was standing in the way. Jesus stood in Judas's way. He told Judas, no, don't do it, Judas. But like Balaam. Judas insisted. So Jesus told him, what thou doest, do quickly. Don't do it. Woe be the man who does it. But what you do, do it quickly. And this brings me back to my earlier question. Why would God use greedy men like Balaam and Judas Iscariot? Why would he put them in the positions of being spokespersons for God because he did I'm going to tell you why I believe God puts men like Balaam in the ministry and gives amount of spiritual enlightenment to show us that man's condemnation is not due to his lack of knowledge but to the wickedness of his own heart see that I believe God puts like men like Balaam into the ministry to show us how man, once enlightened to the, the truth of God's will, when given the choice, will still sometimes choose death over life. When we look at Balaam, we can better understand the selfish greed that drove Lucifer out of heaven and into hell. Lucifer was the angel of light. But the name Lucifer means light bearer. Lucifer had an extraordinary amount of the knowledge of God. Yet with all of that, he still says, No, I don't want it. In full light of what he was doing. And God who gave him a free will. Let Lucifer go. I believe God puts men like Balaam in the minute to show us the depravity of mankind. To show us that some men, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, will still decide to reject it. And God, again, who gave man a free will, though he lovingly stands in the sinner's way, will sadly accept his choice and bid him go. Don't do it, Balaam. Don't do it, Judas. Don't do it, 
person in the pew. Don't do it, pastor in the pulpit. Don't do it. But go on ahead. With that, we'll go ahead and close today. Lord willing, take back up next Sunday with our third Bible example of creepy clergy. Heavy doctrine, Brother Doug. It's heavy doctrine. But I tell you what, when God gives us examples like this, you know what he's doing? (laughs) He is putting a dividing line and showing us what he sees in some people that we can't see. All we see is that outward appearance. We'd see someone like Cain, think, what a godly man. See someone like Balaam, think, what a godly man. What a prophet of God. And on the inside, they're just as wicked as the devil himself. Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. God, we marvel, Father, at the depravity of man. We marvel at the wickedness and the, the foolish choices of man. Even in the light of all the wonderful glory of God, man will still choose against you. And Father, we're so sorry, Father, that the human race has done what it's done, but we're so, so grateful at the amazing grace and mercy that you've bestowed upon us through Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for him. We acknowledge him as our Savior. And Father, in no way do we want to curse that blessing, but eagerly receive and hang on to him. And we cherish the old rugged cross until one day we'll exchange it for the crown. In his precious name we pray. Amen.